Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Recording, this backup recording. All right, Alexandria, we're doing it. How are you doing tonight? You feeling good? I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for being here. And like, this is um, an interesting topic that's kind of came to my attention maybe a year, maybe a few years ago, just based on a podcast and that um, I started like kind of paying more attention to it myself as far as... Um, fertility and infertility and all that good stuff. But if you want to give like a little small introduction for everyone listening, just so they know your background, so you can say it better than I can, and then we'll go from there. You bet. So um, I am the founder of a company called Poplin, and we are the first pre-pregnancy wellness platform for couples. And so we're taking a slightly different um, approach to kind of the world of fertility, and we help couples get ready to get pregnant. Um, much like they would get ready for a wedding or a career or purchasing a house. Um, and we offer the most comprehensive pre-pregnancy wellness testing on the market for males and females. And that's kind of the first step in the pre-pregnancy journey. And so just like you would measure anything in a business setting, like KPIs in a business setting, and we can talk about this, I kind of come from the business world. Uh, there's a bunch of health biomarkers that you can measure that are indicators of your fertility. Uh, and so rather than throwing some stuff at the wall and seeing if it works, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, um, we can be a bit more intentional about the whole process. Um, so what was the, uh, the motivation? Well, I mean, would, were you always interested in this? I know you said you just came back from, you came from business, but was there always something that, Hey, along your life path, you just said, Hey, I want to start helping people along with this or what? So health and wellness has kind of been a part of my journey uh, for, for a long time. I think I started in, in the corporate world, um, I was a banker and then I was a consultant. And as a consultant, I worked with a bunch of healthcare companies. And so that was kind of how I got introduced to the world of healthcare. Um, and then I decided to go back to school. And so I went and got my MBA at Harvard Business School. And then I also pursued a master's in nutrition on the side. So I did you know, two master's degrees at the same time. Um, and that was kind of when I had the inkling, like I really want to dive further into health and wellness and I want to add more tools to my toolkit. Uh, and then I went and worked as a clinical nutritionist uh, for a bunch of years, did further training in functional medicine. And that was when I kind of started to see the seeds for what Poplin has now become, which is I had a bunch of friends um, and clients coming to me asking for my advice and guidance and support as they either struggle to conceive or plan to conceive. And I realized at the time that there was just a huge gap in the market, gap for resources. I mean, the last time most people had sex ed, um, if they had it at all, they were <laughs> you know, maybe 11, 12 years old. Uh, and the messaging uh, when you're 11 or 12 uh, is maybe not as fit for purpose um, if you're trying to avoid pregnancies than you know, when you're in your 20s, 30s, and, and 40s and you're trying to conceive. Um, so I thought there was there's probably an op opportunity for an upgrade. Yeah. And so like, kind of what I was saying before we started recording that this kind of when people are trying to conceive, I always just thought it was just 
pretty simple thing that it just mm-hmm. really just go do your deed. And if you mm-hmm. want to have a kid, go do it. I didn't know yeah. how much health and I guess like y'all, you know, health and nutrition and everything played into it, you know, mindset and all that. And just that, you know, do you know who Shauna, Shanna, Shauna Swan is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's so done get, some incredible things. In yeah, that. so that, that's where I first picked up on this mm-hmm. was like, I, I didn't read her book, but I listened to her on a couple of different podcasts. I was like, oh, this is starting to make sense. But, you know, for those who don't know, I mean, her claim or one of her claims is that the modern world is kind of killing fertility. Did I say that? I don't know. Saying right? and yeah, like, I th- it's like due to phthalates and mm-hmm. um, or something else like this, like the reproductive systems is mm-hmm. that's where, like, I don't know if we're evolving or however you want to say it, but it's something along those lines. Correct. Absolutely. I think she's one of the, you know, um, folks who's really done a deep dive in this space and she's focused, um, very specifically on, on male fertility and, you know, sperm counts and sperm quality have declined. So the, you know, the, the context here is sperm counts have, have dropped 60%, six zero percent in the last 40 years. Um, and so this is, I'm, I'm so shocked it's not more headline news, uh, but what it really means is that the you know generation of males, uh, kind of our peer set right now are significantly less fertile uh, than our grandparents' generation. Sure. Um, and so she's, I think, you know, shining a light on, you know, wh- why could that be, right? Our genes didn't all of a sudden mutate in the last 40 years. So what else is it? And I think she's taken up um, the baton around environmental chemicals, which I think are one of the, the huge contributors um, uh, to, to this challenge. Um, but it's, you know, it's a multifactorial problem. And so I think, you know, what, what you were saying earlier is that, you know, I didn't know that this was more complicated. Well, you know what? It, it didn't used to be this complicated. In fact, uh, this is a new problem. And, you know, our environment has changed more in the last 50 years than it has in the last, you know, probably 10,000 years, the way we eat, the way we move or don't move, um, right. Our stress levels, our social connections. And, and so if you think about it, um, and this is what you were mentioning earlier, our genes are mismatched to our environment and, when our body thinks it's an unsafe or unstable environment within which to bring a baby, it downregulates reproductive function. Mm-hmm. And so our environment all day, every day is basically saying it's not safe. It's not stable. It's not safe. It's not stable. Um, and that's why, you know, we have these, these modern fail safes. And this is, this is why you see the epidemic of infertility rising. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is actually say, okay, well, how do you tell your body and coax your body and teach your body um, that it is in a safe and stable environment? How do you bring it back to a situation where it can biologically feel safe to reproduce? Yeah. Just like you just took a touch on what you said earlier that, you know, it's not really headline news. And I I think her, one of her points was that it's really not cool to go to a party and actually talk about, you know, Hey, you know, I have low sperm count, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure well in that area where, you know, it's more just like people will go to a party and they don't mind talking about, yeah, my cholesterol is high or something Mm. like that. So it's like, that's more, I don't want to say mainstream, but again, you know, like even for me personally speaking, you know, I don't know my sperm count or anything like that, but I don't, I don't feel I have that extrovertedness. Is that the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for to go out there and just say, Hey guys, I got a <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not, you just go, you know, you're proud of or whatever. But mm-hmm. and one of the things she also said that, you know, like I'm a CrossFit guy and like I've, health and fitness has always been a big part of my life. And it's just that, you know, if you do have low sperm count, that's also other signs to your body, like saying, Hey, you know, you might have some other things going on that you're not aware of. Like she said, mm-hmm. like, it's about like heart disease and then going down that line. So you need to start getting these markers checked and like figure out, Hey, you know, if I have this going on, there's gotta be something else going on too. What's causing this, you know? I love to hear this. I love to hear that this message is getting out. I think it is so important. And, you know, for all the reasons that you mentioned, right, our fertility is a marker of our future health, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, current health and future health. And so, um, you know, understanding that you know, even if you don't want to have kids right now, maybe even if you don't want to have kids ever, it's these things are still important, right? Understanding a menstrual cycle as a female, understanding sperm count as a male, uh, sperm quality as a male. Um, these are all proxies for overall health sure. and, you know, egg cells and sperm health cells are cells just like any other cells in your body. And so I think we've had this myopic focus on, you know, either just, just sperm or just eggs when it comes to fertility. But what we're doing at Poplin is trying to expand the conversation and say, uh, that's actually only one piece of the larger fertility puzzle, right? Fertility is an extension of your overall health. It's not just about your ovaries or your testes, right? It's about your whole body. And so what you do with your whole body and it's about whole body health. And so we're actually looking at five different categories of health. Um, it's not just hormones, um, which I think is what's usually uh, looked at when we think about fertility. 
Ooh, five different categories. Can we talk about those? What are those? We can. Okay. Um, yes. So I think, you know, what I found is that um, there is a bit of a reductionistic tendency when we're thinking about health. Like we try to think of like the one thing, like what is the one thing that's going to, you know, drive this? And, and I think sometimes that can be helpful from a behavior change perspective. Um, but I think it also can miss a lot of the, the intricacy of, of health intervention. And so we look at five different categories of, um, of health, which could potentially impact your fertility. And so you have blood type and status, and we can go into each of these in, in more detail. Um, there is metabolic status, there's immune status, there's hormone status, um, and there's nutrient status. And so all of those five things are things that I've, you know, run testing on with clients who were, you know, struggling to conceive and identified areas where, you know, that, that are either red flags or yellow flags that are interfering with their ability to get pregnant have a healthy pregnancy and have a healthy baby. And so rather than waiting till we're in year two of struggling to conceive or round five of IVF, we can actually find this information out much, much earlier. And you and your reproductive partner can go and get tested together and kind of know what you're working with. Yeah. You know, and talking about these, you know, Again, this, this has all been new to me in these last few years, talking about like getting your blood work done and like knowing how your body's working and, and stuff like that. But um, like whenever you make a change, like as far as I like to, I've been experimenting with a bunch of different diets. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just something fun for me to do and see how my body reacts. But, you know, before COVID, like a couple of times I went and got my blood work done just to say, hey, is everything good to go? Mm -hmm. Is it not missing something or whatever? But, you know, and again, going back on that thing, it's just, I think it's in a male perspective. It's just that. Well, wait, you know, if nothing's wrong, if I'm still feeling halfway decent, why do I need to go to the doctor? Why do I need to have my blood work checked or whatever? Mm -hmm. But, and they don't actually get that, you know, just because you might be feeling good, there's something again, internally mm -hmm. that be going wrong. And, in all, and, 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 and to that point though, back in, I mean, before my time, obviously, you know, when people were trying to conceive a baby that if a guy, you know, he does his thing and he's just like, well, you know, I'm doing my thing. It's probably your fault. You know, the female mm -hmm. that it's, you know, we're not having a kid. So it's not on me at all. You know, and it's just like, and I think that was just kind of the narrative that was there that shouldn't have been there just because it was, just, again, one of those things that no one would ever talk about. For sure. You bring up two, two incredibly important points in this conversation. I think one is around who's responsibility or whose contribution matters in the, you know, fertility equation and the getting pregnant equation. And then the other is around kind of, I'll say stages of disease. So I'd love to touch on both of them. I sure. think so, um, you know, let's start with stages of disease. Cause that's what you mentioned earlier. Oh. So, you know, one of the things that I think is important is there's like, there's, um, five stages. There's lots of different models for this, but the one that I use is five stages of disease. And it talks about kind of like moving through dysfunction changes in pathophysiology, like blood work changes and physiology changes in um, the f structure and function of your organs and then eventually death. And the, um, the challenge with that is symptoms often don't show up until stage three or four out of five. Mm. And so that's really late in the disease process and or people don't realize that symptoms are symptoms, right? So people are walking around constipated. They're walking around with fatigue. They're walking around with brain fog and they don't realize that that's not normal, right? I.e. the way that their body is designed to operate. It's common, but it's not normal. Right. And so the only way that you actually can find out some of these dysregulations is by by testing, right? Blood and urine and, and sometimes stool. Um, and so when you do that, you can actually catch perturbations or changes um, much earlier. And when they're earlier, they're much smaller. And so the interventions that you need to use are, again, much smaller, much more elegant than these much larger interventions that we have to use when it's much later stage, much bigger. Um, so I think that's one rationale that I, I, um, try to explain, especially to, um, you know, the male reproductive partner as to why it's important to kind of look under the hood and see what's going on. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, with that, is it also, you know, with the genes and environment that are people growing up in and that these, you know, um, yeah, in their environment, and like you just said, their markers that we're looking for, like this, you know, depression or anxiety have something to do to play with these. That if you're growing up in a great environment where everything's good, and I don't know how to explain this any better, but, you know, certain genes are activated or not activated, you know, to cause mm -hmm. these certain diseases or whatever. But where you're growing up in, let's say, a terrible environment, as, you know, being that's a vague definition, but, you know, certain genes and traits are activated just because of that 
environment you're putting your body through compared to vice versa. Hope that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. What I, was trying to say. I think so. Let me try to to see if I captured it. If I don't redirect me um, to where you were where you were headed, I think so. What's interesting about this whole dialogue is this concept of you know genetics and epigenetics, um, and so it gets it'll get a little bit sciencey, but I think it's I think it's really important. Um, which is you know genetics are fixed. It's what your parents gave to you, sure. um, and those don't change over. And they you know influence characteristics. It's not one to one, but like you know eye color. Uh, hair color, things like that. Um, and then you have epigenetics, which is a, you know, a fairly new field that we've been doing a lot of research in over, you know, the last couple of decades. And there's a lot of new insights that are coming out of this. So we thought genes dictated our destiny for, for many, many years that kind of, you know, like whatever your parents gave you is what you got. And like, those are your, you know, that's the hand you've been dealt. And for some people that was reassuring because they're like, well, I might as well eat this double fun shot day because it doesn't matter. Right. Um, for other people that was disempowering, right. If there's nothing I can do about it, like that's, that's not cool. Um, and we, we now know actually genes only, um, have a, a relatively small influence on your overall health. Um, you know, the, the, the ratios change, right. Some study, some data I've seen says it's, you know, about 80% epigenetics, 20% genetics. Some, you know, studies have said it's even smaller genetically mod- modified, uh, mediated, excuse me. Um, and so I think why that's relevant to what you're saying is epigenetics are basically the environmental impact on your genes. So yeah, that is the sure. air you breathe, the you know stress that you are under, the environments that you live in, the food that you eat. It kind of turns your genes on and off. They're like on and off switches. And so positive interventions like meditation and vegetables and things like that um, turn off bad genes and turn on good genes and vice versa. Um, and what's cool about that is you actually can pass those epigenetics to your kids and that gets passed through egg and sperm. And so that's why in particular, it's really important in the, you know, three, six, 12 months before you conceive to prepare, because that's what, that's literally the raw material that you're going to pass to your children. And you have the power to change that. Mm. Well, going back to, you know, those, uh, those five markers, like, you know, for example, you said, I think you said one, and before was hormones or whatever that mm-hmm. you know, cortisol. I mean, is mm-hmm. that one of the markers? Yes, it is. It absolutely yeah. is. <laughs> For those who don't know, that's a stress hormone, correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. Did you know you can measure if your body is stressed? Because um, sometimes we may not feel stressed, but we, our body can be stressed, right? I didn't, no, I didn't know the measure. Well, I was trying to think, no, I didn't really know that, but I guess it's based on how I, I, I just used to go on how I feel. And even though mm-hmm. I feel pretty good that you know, like you were talking about brain fog and stuff like that sometimes and how I wake up is kind of when I know that, or inflammation, I guess, is when I know that mm. it's different in my body than, you know, I, yeah, then what's normal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But as far as measuring stress, now I've never really sat down and said, hey, what's a unit of measure of stress, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cortisol is one way that we, we get a sense for, you know, if your body is feeling um, consistently stressed, right? So it's not, you know, we're all, we're adapted to deal with high levels of stress that then abate, right? Like running from a tiger is the kind of classical example. Um, but what's happening now is we have sustained stressors. So like, you know, I hate my job or I'm living in a moldy apartment, um, or, you know, even stressors, like I'm training for a marathon. Um, you know, that there's, there's psychological stressors, which is the things that we knew, normally think about. There's also physiological stressors, infections and, and things like that, um, that deplete our body. And the more, um, stress we're under it, it requires more vitamins and minerals and things like that to, to support our bodies. And so we may not physically feel stressed necessarily, but our body may be actually experiencing high degrees of stress. And and the interesting thing about that is your sex hormones and your stress hormones are in the same biochemical pathway. And evolutionarily, our bodies always prioritize survival over procreation. So if you're stressed a lot, your body diverts resources from making your sex hormones to making your stress hormones, and you literally don't have enough raw materials to make enough sex hormones. Interesting. Because I would have thought that then vice versa, that you know, there's an argument there. Then I've had a, a professional couples therapy person on here. And, you know, one of the arguments that she was saying, well, not an argument, one of the things that people come to her when they decide they want to cheat on their significant other is that, oh, it's in my genes. I want to go, you Mm. know, re, you know, put it out there. You know, that's the reason I cheated or whatever that I want. I have to spread my seed rather than Mm -hmm. just a survival instinct, you know? But I would that's think that's interesting. Yeah. And I, but I don't know if that's just a lame, I don't want, maybe I shouldn't say lame, but that's just an excuse for that person to try to justify on why or why they did, did whatever they did. But again, just that, you know, I didn't know 
like you just said, survival goes to change and the body would change in those different ways like that. But that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's well, it's one of the reasons why you know a lot of times when people are trying to conceive, someone will tell them, "Oh, well, like just relax, right?" Um, or you know, you know, I don't know if you've if you've seen this. I've seen this a bunch among clients and friends. Like people are trying to conceive for years and years and years, and then they uh, you know decide to stop trying, and then like a couple months later they get pregnant, sure. um, or they adopt. Um, and then they get pregnant. Uh, and it's always been mystifying. Well, how does that happen? Well, you know, one of the, um, the theories is that it's actually a stress mediated response is right. that, that, you know, that individuals under such a degree of stress that they may not even realize it. And that as soon as they let go of kind of the, the, the constant stress and pressure around trying to conceive, which can be really intense, um, their body is able to, to relax and, and move into a more receptive state again. So it's, it's really fascinating. So that advice is super not helpful. Um, uh, but it is actually clinically, um, uh, relevant to the conversation. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things that also that, you know, like you said, when you try and try and try that, it's like, you're trying so hard just because, you know, person A is just saying, Hey, I only have amount, this amount of time yep. to get this done because, you know, I mean, you know, this better than I do, but you know, uh, you know, Lolo Jones, I don't, you know, she's an Olympic athlete. Um, mm-hmm. She competed in summer games and the winter games. She's almost 40 years old. But like, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier about headline news and stuff, she just re- recently had a bunch of her eggs frozen just because mm. she almost, she's ready to turn. She's turning 40, already turned 40. And she made it, you know, hey, like, hey, I want to eventually have kids or whatever. But, you know, she has trouble in the dating world. I don't know the whole story. I don't, <laughs> don't want to butcher it. But it's something along those lines. But mm-hmm. again, it was one of those things like, hey, instead of just keep trying and trying to settle for a random guy to conceive with, she was just like, Hey, you know, I know my body can only do so much for X amount of years. And this is what I'm going to do to try to have the best possible chance to at least be a mother. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think this is one of the, um, the myths that we're trying to change the narrative around. I think particularly for females, there's been a lot of fear messaging around like, you know, the demise of your ovaries and the demise of your eggs. And, Mm. um, you know, it's kind of once you turn, take your pick, it depends on the media source and depends on the day, 30, 35, you turn into a pumpkin too bad. So sad for you. I mean, that's, that's the messaging. Right. And I think, um, you know, I say it lightly because I think we have to, we do have to lighten this discussion up. Like fertility has become super not fun. And I think there's an opportunity to make it fun. I mean, it's literally, you know, being intimate with your partner, um, to create a family. So like it's an inherently fun activity and it's all of a sudden become very heavy. Um, but I think that this messaging around, um, the egg cliff is, um, is not, uh, as grounded in science as, um, as we've been told. And, uh, this is the conversation is overstated. And the reality is that for 95% of females, um, egg quantity, is irrelevant. Um, and it's really, yes. Um, only 5% of women experience premature, you know, ovarian, low ovarian reserve, which is the concern around, you know, the clock ticking. And it's really only 5% of of women. And so for those 5% of women, that is, it's an important data point for you to know. Um, however, the average 40 year old woman still has 10,000 plus eggs left in her ovaries. And so this idea and right. So, you know, even if you want a hand, even if you want a big family, right, you only need, uh, a, you know, five of them, six of them, seven of them, right. Um, to, to conceive if you want to have a, um, a large family. And so it's really a conversation of egg quality, um, not egg quantity and the same thing on sperm quality. And the analogy that I draw here is like, as a nutritionist, right? The world that I come from is, you know, we spent the whole 1980s telling everyone that calories are the only thing that matters, right? <laughs> calories and it's, you know, it's the thing. And, um, you know, I, like you have experimented with tons of, uh, dietary yes. theories over the years. And, um, I think we've now evolved in our understanding and we say, well, calories are one piece of the equation, but food composition matters and food quality matters and all these other things. And I, um, I believe that we're at the precipice of a shift in the fertility conversation as well, where it's going to shift from egg quantity to egg quality and sperm quality. Um, and the beautiful thing about sperm quality and egg quality is it's modifiable. Whereas, you know, we, you know, don't really have data yet around modifying egg quantity. Um, so, um, that's, I think the empowering message here. Yeah. A lot of people don't get that, that, you know, even with like you were talking about quantity versus quality that I don't like, I don't know if it's just old science or old information or whatever you want to say that just that, 
you know, there's like, oh, you know, no matter what I'm doing, I'm, you know, it's like saying, hey, I'm, if I get, who's that guy? He was, did a whole Twinkie diet of getting 1800 calories a day, but at the end of the day, he still felt like complete shit or whatever versus 1800 calories of actually quality food. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, it's one of those things that people, and I guess it's a narrative or whatever you want to say that, you know, it's like, you know, oh, um, you know, that person can eat, you know, a slice of cheesecake and gain three pounds where person B can eat whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. And they look like a Greek God, like they're carved out of stone, no matter what they do. But again, it's just more information that are coming out and we're having these types of conversations that it's actually not bad to talk about. You know, it's actually said, Hey, you know, when people ask me about diets and stuff and it's like, Hey, I'll tell you what I do, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Go do your own research though. At the end of the day, you know, just don't, Go taking what you're hearing off Twitter or what you're hearing in the break room at work or whatever. Because, yeah, I mean, who knows where they got that information at, you know, unless, like, you know, somebody it's one of those Twitter things where people just like to put up. And I'm not, you know, saying they're putting up misinformation, but it can happen, of course. And, you know, and studies change over time. And Mm -hmm. then that's where things go south for some people. Absolutely. I mean, the studies that keep getting referenced uh, like over and over again in, in like the media are from, I think it's a 1789 birth records in France around like this whole thing around egg quantity. So, I mean, this is like the, like the definition of old science. Um, and right. We don't have, we didn't have modern methods and, you know, so I think, um, we, the science has updated and we, you know, but it takes on average, I know I've seen different things, which is like on average 17 years for data to move from like clinical studies into, into clinical practice, right. To move into your doctor's office, but like who has time for that? Um, so sure. I think it's, you know, companies like Poplin that, that are trying to bring, uh, the more evidence-based science, the up-to-date evidence-based science into, you know, the cultural. Oh, I think you froze on me. <laughs> oh, you're back. There we go. Okay. You froze on me for a second. No. So no worries. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things too, that, you know, when I'm one of those people who, when I start to explore something, you know, if I want to go explore that diet again, like we're talking about, or if I decided, Hey, I want to get myself ready to conceive. I mean, you know, I'm just a single dad. I've never had, or not a single dad, <laughs> a single dad of two dogs, I guess you want to say that. Uh, but you know, never been married and all that good stuff. But I would start to do my research on like how to prepare myself, you know, and like, mm-hmm. all right. Cause I, you know, like with the science talk and whatever, like talking about our, our markers in our body and that, Hey, you know, my body might be performing or it might not be performing, but it's like, I want to obviously do the best I can to make whatever goal I'm trying to do here. Right. And just that with these informations and, you know, the stuff that you put out as far as like, do you, like, do y'all offer like saying, Hey, you should be taking like certain vitamins a day or like certain supplements just to improve these situations or what? Yeah. So uh, right now we're offering the testing and, you know, a lot of that stuff is a jumping off point for conversations with your doctor and, you know, other healthcare providers that you have. Um, we have a lot of really amazing stuff in store. Um, right now we're really focused on giving people access to information and starting their journey. So, you know, what we're doing is basically offering the testing and then contextualizing the testing for you. So a lot of times if you go to the doctor and you run a lab test, they'll, you know, give you the lab test with like some numbers and some words on a page. Um, but it's really hard to contextualize like what does that mean like if my hemoglobin a1c a measure of blood sugar is like flagged like what does that mean um and is it medium high or high or is that a problem and you know what should i do about it so we're contextualizing it so our app actually tells you you know kind of what is this measure and then like what does it mean for your ability to get pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy and baby um same thing for for male partners right so what does it mean for your fertility if this marker is elevated um and we start to you know um give evidence based recommend you know suggestions around like what has been shown to to move some of these markers um and then for for many of these, it's, you know, if you have certain things that come up like thyroid dysfunction, um, that's a, you know, that's great to, to take that conversation up with your, with your doctor. Um, because sometimes that requires lifestyle interventions. Sometimes that requires medication. Um, and so having that information really changes the game. Um, because a lot of times, you know, as you said, like a lot of times doctors, you know, won't run these tests or they'll run subset of some subset of the tests. We're running almost 50 biomarkers, which is like the broadest test that I've seen, um, out there. And so we're uncovering a lot of stuff and, you know, the medical model that we have right now is not really about prevention. Uh, and so it's only once you have a problem that you can get some of this testing done. Um, and so we're trying to change that around so that you can do screening tests in advance, identify any potential red flags or yellow flags, uh, and then have that conversation with your doctor armed with, with much more data. Yeah, that data always helps for sure. I mean, that's that's one of the things I like is just like seeing numbers and seeing data and 
you know, and seeing studies and how they change again. And just that, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer in, if, I guess if you want to say science, yeah. Cause you know, I like reading that stuff and just said, Hey, you know, people took the time out to do whatever kind of methodologies and ideologies to explain their hypothesis and see what happened, you know, and just, again, you know, like I said, you know, go at the end of the day, go do your own research, but it makes me feel better that, okay. Like, you know, this stuff works, you know, mm-hmm. it's not me just, you know, turning out the lights and take a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, I think that's exactly the point, right? That's been, that's been our historical model is it's a black box until you try. And right. then sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but you know, most of the time when you're trying to conceive, and I, I, I say this, especially of the female clients that I work with, like, if you want to get pregnant, you want to get pregnant yesterday, right? Like you, you spend so much of life trying not to conceive. And then some, sometime, you know, the, the, um, the switch flips and you're like, okay, it's time. I, I want to be yeah. pregnant. Um, and so I think now, rather than it being a black box and saying, I have no idea how it's going to work until I try, what we're trying to do is give you, you know, a sense like, okay, how are things looking? And are there any things coming up in your blood work that we know can interfere with, with fertility? And that's what these five categories are, right? So thyroid function is one example, right? We know that can lead to recurrent miscarriage. We know that can lead to issues with, you know, the baby's development. So let's deal with that in advance. Anemia, super easy to screen for, fairly easy to fix, um, but up to 25% of pregnancies um, are, you know, involve anemia. Why is this happening? Autoimmune disease, another one. It's, you know, takes on average seven or eight years to get an autoimmune diagnosis. Yep. And it's disproportionately in the female population. So 80% of, you know, at last, at last, uh, the stats I've looked at about 80% of autoimmune diagnoses are in females. Um, and that's also overwhelmingly responsible for recurrent miscarriage. Um, and you know, it's again, something that we can screen for and address in advance. Um, and so rather than it being a whole black box and you just kind of close your eyes and hope, cross your fingers and hope it'll work, um, you know, we can give you and, and your reproductive partner more information to say, okay, well, here's what, here's what's um, going on. Um, and here's what I might want to want to modify yeah. even basic nutrient deficiencies to what you were saying. Like people are playing around with all sorts of diets these days. Um, and so, you know, do you have the appropriate Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success nutrient stores, um, because going into pregnancy depleted, um, or, you know, trying to conceive depleted is, is not given the optimal raw materials. You know, generally speaking, when, you know, couples are coming to you and they're wanting to, you know, get healthy and learn what they need to do to get better. I mean, is there a general, like, I know you just talked about hormones and diets. I mean, but is there a general problem that you're seeing among the world today or the population that, Hey, this is like the number one thing that seems to be the most thing that we see to try to fix first. Yeah. So I think the test has been the, the, the biomarkers and the test has been designed to like work backwards. So these are the things that I saw in people that were struggling to conceive over and over and over again. And so these are, that's why we're screening for them. And so, you know, it's across those five categories, Mm -hmm. but you know, in each one of them, so like in blood type and status, one of the things that's very common are some of the things I just mentioned, right? So anemia, 
um, that's very common. Um, in hormone status, we see um, a you know generation of females that have been on hormonal birth control for for decades. Um, and you know this was this was my own story, so it's something that you know I I relate to. Um, and the messaging around hormonal birth control has been um, that it does not have any impact on fertility. And I think that um, you know hormonal birth control is an incredible tool, um, and I think it's given a lot of women and couples freedom. Um, I also think there has not been an appropriate level of informed consent about the implications of long-term hormonal birth control use. And so we're now seeing the implications of it. And so long-term, does it impact fertility? Probably not, but short-term, it absolutely does. Um, it shuts down the communication between your pituitary gland and your ovaries. That takes time to, to kind of uh, bring that back up. It depletes nutrients that are required um, for uh, for pregnancy, it messes with your microbiome, uh, which means it, you know, changes the way that you absorb nutrients. Um, so there's all of these things that hormonal birth control, I'm not talking about barrier methods like condoms or, or diaphragms, um, but, you know, hormonal birth control has real implications on someone's, um, you know, ability to conceive in the near term. And I've seen it with lots of clients. And so you know, coming off of hormonal birth control is an active, not a passive process. It's about repleting nutrients and, you know, mm. letting your body appropriately detoxify and so forth. And so this is all you know, our bodies are incredibly resilient. It's all absolutely doable. Um, but it needs, you know, it's, it's ideally done with time, uh, to give yourself, you know, the opportunity to recalibrate and also guidance, right? Because, um, you know, we, how do you know what, uh, what are all the things that you need to offset from having been on uh, hormonal birth control for a long time? So you said long-term, it doesn't really affect fertility, just short-term. That's been my, that's been my experience in the okay. literature that I've seen. I think, um, it's really just, um, it's a short-term impact, but like short-term IE can be up to a year. Um, so, you know, women will have trouble getting their cycles back after having been on birth control. Um, and, you know, so if you think about it, it like intuitively kind of makes sense. If you completely shut down your hormonal communication for 10 or 15 sure. years, right? Like it's, it, it makes sense that it's not going to, you know, kind of kick back on right away and that we might need to do some, take some extra steps to, to support it. Um, and so that's what I've seen like with proper support, with proper time, uh, people do get their cycles back and they can get healthy cycles. But I think a, a bigger issue around this is most of the time, uh, people are going on hormonal birth control in the first place to deal with symptoms like acne or heavy periods mm. or things like that. And that those symptoms are actually ind indications of underlying hormonal dysfunction. And so the, the pill, uh, let's say, for example, does not um, address that underlying dysfunction. It just silences it. So you go into, you know, you start taking birth control potentially when you're 16, 17, 18, I don't know, in your 20s, um, uh, because you have um, these hormonal imbalances. And then they're just, they're still there. And maybe they're getting worse over, you know, the 10 or 15 years that you're on it. Um, and then when you come off of it, you not only, you know, have now come off of birth, hormonal birth control, but you still have that hormonal dysfunction that you silenced for 10 or 15 years. Um, and so this is absolutely no judgment. I was not told this, you know, by my physician, um, many of my clients and friends were not told this and they discover these things when they come off of hormonal birth control. And so I think, it's just important to understand because it's a it's an imminently fixable problem in in, in most cases. Um, but you have to know that it's uh, you know that it's that it's an issue that's present. And so, to your point, this is something that I see very commonly: um, people you know coming off of birth control and not getting regular cycles and not knowing when they're ovulating and having to deal with all sorts of hormonal dysfunction. So that's a that's a big one. You know, while you're talking, I had this thought that. You know, and again, I'm probably the lot, I'm way out of my league in this conversation anyway, and I'm probably the, definitely the last guy I should be talking about it. But I love that you are, though. I think yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, that, that's you know, you got to do hard things in order to grow and have these conversations and learn. And so, and I firmly believe, like, yeah, do these. I mean, don't shy away from it because I used to be that guy that, and I, I don't want to go away from my, my previous point was, but I used to be that guy that when these kind of conversations came up, I would just shy away in the back and be like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't want to say something stupid. And then, you know, be judged by it or whatever. But, you know, while you're talking about that, you know, I remember in high school, you know, when girls were starting to go on birth control and, I, you know, what is that, 15, 16 or whatever. But I was, I wanted to ask that, you know, so for example, the human brain, we found out like the frontal lobe isn't fully developed until what, 24, mm. 25 or something like that. So should there be like a time, like, because the body's still developing, obviously at 16 and 18, like, should you wait till like 
I don't know what age, but should you just wait like, hey, you got to be an adult, you know, classified mm-hmm. 18 years old before you get birth control just to, I mean, would that help to kind of disregard some of those health impacts that birth control might be having on a person or what? You know, it's such an individual question. I think what, you know, what the position that I try to take on these things is to never tell people what they should do. I think there's a lot of shoulds in fertility in you know, women's health and men's health, right. Of, you know, kind of, you should do this. It's a very paternalistic way of approaching things. And I think we have an opportunity to change the dialogue by saying, this is what the data says. And you get to decide for yourself and your, you know, your family, what makes sense. And so I think the challenge has been that I don't, I don't know that we knew, um, or that even that, or that this information was being shared at the point of, you know, starting birth control, for example, or starting a family. And so I think, um, if I were to, uh, suggest a change of anything, it's that, you know, these, that as with any medication, right, you are told the, what are the side effects of this medication? And it's, you know, it's, it's basically informed consent. And so I think for many, um, you know, women, they still, even with, you know, understanding these consequences, they still would have made the same choice. And, you know, I fully support every, uh, everyone's, you know, decision for themselves so that they can, you know, decide, but it's, it's really important that we know what the, um, the puts and takes are, right. What are the positives of, of this and what are the negatives? And then you get to decide for your, your individual situation. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a case by case scenario. And, and I guess the reason I was asking that was because, you know, there's, a lot of people who seem to be wanting to do TRT right now, well, mm. not effective. And that for mm-hmm. those who don't know, it's testosterone replacement therapy. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you start, if you don't get your T levels examined or marked or whatever looked at, that if you start using that, that your body will stop producing testosterone just because it's getting it from an outside source. And then when you stop, it's like our body or from what I understand, it's like, hey, what the hell was going on here? You know, we, it's like it forgets how to make testosterone again. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of what I was wondering. Is it, well, and I think that's, and it's one of these, if you want to blame the media or social media or one of those things that, you know, because guys think, oh, I need extra testosterone so I can be the rock or whatever, <laughs> some big bodybuilder guy. And I mean, that's fine if people are doing that, but I don't think when they really start doing it, they don't really understand like maybe the benefits and non-benefits that's going on in their body when using mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting corollary. I hadn't thought about that one, but I think, uh, you know, certainly we see, uh, just like we've seen sperm counts go down, we've seen testosterone levels go down too. And so I think there is, and, you know, testosterone is important for health. And so I certainly understand the desire to replete levels if you're, if you're low, um, as a, as a male. Um, and by the way, testosterone is important for females too. Um, we, you know, we forget about that. Um, uh, but I think what's important to understand here is like, Uh, And I see this, you know, in um, infertility a lot, which is your sex hormones are actually like the most downstream thing that we can measure and intervene on. They're downstream to your thyroid hormones and they're downstream to your adrenals, your adrenal hormones. Right. And so if your sex hormones are off, like too low, for example, um, we oftentimes don't know why. Is it because your thyroid function is off? Is it because your adrenal function is off? Is it because both of those things are off? And so if you just intervene at the sex hormone level, i.e. giving testosterone or you know giving progesterone or giving estrogen, as an example, um, you're not actually getting to the source of the problem. Um, and certainly we know, you know, hormone levels decline over time. And so there's going to be a natural drop off for, for males as they, uh, as they age as well. Um, but I would say, you know, I think it's, it, it could be uh, worthwhile to do an exploration of your broader health to understand, okay, well, are there any blockers? Are there any things that are, you know, artificially suppressing my testosterone level um, before I explore something like, like TRT? Um, And again, this is, you know, same thing, no judgment, right? But, you know, having all the information, let's look at um, anything that could be, you know, could be blocking your testosterone function. um, And then you can enter the conversation about potential supplementation with medication, um, even more informed. Um, And then, and by the way, like it can be used better because it's not being affected by low t- thyroid function or low adrenal function, as an example. Yeah. You know, and in, 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 in touching on that, that, you know, when I started losing my hair at like a young age, I was like 24. Right. And, you know, I started to embrace my brace. Right. Because I went to the dermatologist and they told me that, hey, you could use Rogaine for mm. the rest of your life or there's some kind of pill that I could take for the rest of my life. Mm. And once I stop, it's all going to fall back out anyway. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I mean, I'm just going to embrace it. And, and that's what I did. Well, and, and just because I was like, you know, that, you know, I didn't want to depend on these outside 
if you want to say over-the-counter medicines just to have hair, that it wasn't that important to me. And I, this is probably a side tangent and maybe not related to what you just said, but it just had me thinking, though, just like when trying to get these outside pharmaceuticals in me and, or whatever, just that, you know, in the end, at the end of the day, again, I mean, is it really worth it to what damages it could or could not be doing to my body? Just because, you know, we always see, you know, what is it like? Us and is it New Zealand? There's only we're the only two countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical, mm. right? And it's like seventy five percent of their revenue. Could be butchering that stat. Don't nobody quote me on that. But <laughs> it's always like you know you always see like the people like oh they're running through a meadow and happy go lucky. But then at the end of the commercial it says hey by the way you could experience all these random problems and it's like whoa you know mm. and, I'm, and I'm not saying there's no good things from pharmaceuticals at all but it's just like hey i don't know if i really want to put myself through those side effects and take that chance just for a certain thing so anyway that mm -hmm. might be a side tangent and just something i was thinking about while you were talking and just that's like, hmm, you know because all these it's kind of scary to me just like all these different things that you know everyone's just like hey take this to feel better take do this and mm -hmm. you won't have brain fog and you can just wake up and you'll feel like an a1 superstar and say, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe at the end of the day, we should look at other factors, you know? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think as you said, right, it's, it's up to everyone's individual choice, how they want to, they want to manage things. Um, you know, and I, I think as a clinician, you know, one of the things that uh, a clinician who's trained in nutrition, um, I think there, there can be uh, an order of operations here in terms of like, how do you get the biggest bang for your buck? Right. And so it, it, it can be right. Like nutrition first, as an example, herbs, second supplements, third, right. Medications fourth, mm -hmm. um, as you know, as a flow. Right. And so like, if you've gotten your, your nutrition in order and you're, you know, you're using herbs and supplementation, right. And things are still not where you want to, then I think like, that might, that's likely an appropriate time to say, okay, is there additional kind of medication support that, that I can use here? Um, but I think what I see oftentimes is that, uh, you know, people end up jumping, uh, quickly to the, the medication stage oftentimes because they don't know there are other alternatives out there. Um, and so I think that's part of this conversation too, is that, you know, I mean, of course it's like, it's easier to also, you know, uh, take a medication than to uh, you know, make some of the lifestyle changes, um, that are, you know, that could be required. And again, like, um, that's fine. As long as you know that those, those are options, um, to, to, um, to change the situation. And, you know, so many conditions that we see today are mediated by lifestyle. Um, I mean, there's evidence, um, that of, you know, cancer as a metabolic disease, that's, you know, some new theories that are coming out. That's really fascinating. Um, depression and anxiety, um, you know, a lot of the, the traditional theories, um, around uh, serotonin are being questioned and, you know, it's, it's actually being put forth that it's more an inflammatory, um, disease. And, you know, certainly there are social connection components to this. Um, so I think there's, you know, some really interesting literature out there. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's always just listening, right. Instead of judging first, just listening to kind of what the new science is potentially suggesting, um, before jumping to conclusions and saying, you know, it's right or it's wrong. Um, but I think it, it offers a new perspective about how we can think about health. Um, and as a functional medicine practitioner, to me, it's always about like looking at the root cause. What is driving this, um, you know, at the root? You know, being in your field and, you know, like I see nutrition in your background, but with all the new science always coming out, always new data, always something new. Do you ever feel overwhelmed just trying to keep up and just trying to understand all the new scientists and just that, you know, in order to, you know, articulate it back to everyone, it's just like, Damn, I mean, like, you know, can, can we just stop for a second? Like, there's always like, because, you know, again, going back on that dot thing, people are always asking me, you know, like, hey, what do you eat? What do you do? And just, uh, you know, I mean, like, I just do my thing. You know, it just, I found something that works for me and I keep going doing that. So you don't always have to do the new mm. ideas that you saw on Instagram from that influencer or whatever. But yeah, I mean, but I always feel just like, damn, I mean, there's just always so much new information coming at me, and especially with podcasts and media and TV and movies and everything else. It's just, like, man, it's a little overwhelming just to me. And I'm not even in the field. Mm. Yeah. So I think, so two things on that. So I think number one is, um, 
I don't. And I think maybe that's, you know, why I do what I do. Like, I love it. And I think it's, I, I'm honored uh, to have, you know, um, the task of kind of sifting through this, um, and doing the legwork so other people don't have to. And by the way, to your point, I would also encourage people like challenge everything that I'm saying and go check, go fact check. And, you know, like, I think it's not really, you know, um, science or it's not really perspective if it's not being challenged and questioned. And so I think that that's really important part of this dialogue. Um, uh, you know, but I take a lot of, um, uh, you know, I take this responsibility seriously to, to really look at the science and understand what's going on. And the average person does not have the time or the ability to kind of wade through clinical studies. And so, um, that's what we're here for. Um, and at the same time, I think what I would say is more science evolves. I think the more we learn that like the secrets are in the basics. Mm. I like that. Just keep it simple. Is that basically what you just said? Keep it. Yeah. Like I think, you know, there's this fancy new nutrient or this fancy new food or this fancy new intervention. Um, and like, I am, you know, I am all about blending the best of modern science and ancient wisdom. Um, I think like, that's a great stage that we're at. Um, and I also think like we're learning more and more that, you know, high quality food, connection with other people, time in nature, movement, right? These are like the ways that our ancestors lived and, and thrived. And that's this is kind of what our bodies and uh, were, were designed for. Uh, and so the more we move away from that, the more disease and, you know, uh, dis-ease um, where we face. Um, and so we can make it complicated um, or we, you know, we can kind of be inspired by a lot of those really basic principles that we know are foundational to, to our health. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to go on a COVID soapbox here, but, you know, with COVID, though, this, there's things you said, like human connection and quality of food and stuff like that. People started to learn that, you know, oh, maybe I'm not as healthy as I actually thought I was, you know, even during COVID. And that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there were some people, again, generally speaking, that, you know, it's like, you know, it's like that thing. They're like, oh, I don't need anybody around me. You know, I don't have, you know, I don't need to have, you know, connection. I have friends or whatever. I, do, I can just do me and sit in my house and watch Netflix all day. But when it actually came down to it, when, if, and when you were in quarantine, it's like, Hey, I kind of want to talk to somebody, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that was my case. You know I mean? You know, I was actually kind of fortunate enough. I was still able to go to work. I mean, life didn't really change for me. I was, I had access to a gym and, you know, only thing really I had to do was just wear a face mask wherever I went to. But I mean, that strive for human connection means a lot for people, just as you said that, you know, we're very, tribal people if you want to go back to our primal ancestry mm -hmm. and just having that time and if you want to again base that off diets too and like the quality of food they were eating back in the day rather than just pounding out twinkies all day long or whatever it is that it means a lot to our health and that people are again like learning that you know like ooh, maybe walking up that flight of stairs when just ignoring that they were out of breath like ooh, maybe i you know it's not as healthy as i thought and that you know when they were to get something if it got covid they could either fight it off or not fight it off so yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting to see. Um, I, I haven't seen any of the data during um, uh, during the last two years, but, you know, they have some some um, older data that I've looked at around social isolation. And it is interesting that, you know, like social isolation is um, you know as bad for you as like poor diet and nutrition and like lack of movement. Um, and it, you know, dysregulates your immune system. It raises inflammation. Um, and so, you know, we like to, we think of it as kind of this like fluffier thing. Um, but, you know, as you said, we, you know, we've evolved as, you know, tribal people. And so I think that's, you know, why it's, it's one of, a, you know, a core tenant. Um, and I think it's probably, you know, been uh, more in the forefront of conversation, um, you know, over the last couple of years, given, um, given what is, what has happened, but it's, it's kind of always been the case and it's always been there um, that, you know, community is a really important piece, which is, you know, I think also part of the, the reason why taking, you know, a, this journey with your partner is, is important, right? A lot of times fertility conversations fall on the female's shoulders um, and she's she shouldering that burden by herself. And so even, you know, bringing your partner into the conversation and, you know, having that, that community is a really important piece of the, the puzzle as well. Yeah. And again, just being able to have these open conversations to, with your partner, that it's okay to do that because, you know, again, going back on a couple of different podcasts that I've done, just you have a relationship it's just people don't have these certain conversations and then they forget to have them just because of you know it's not either cool or it just never comes up and then when it comes when it does come time to have them you're like oh shit well maybe we didn't think about this so mm. and actually realize what we were doing and you know we didn't really plan out our lifestyle or what we might impact on the future of our children or being conceived and what that would look like and so that it's actually cool to actually have 
these talks and issues with that person just to see like, okay, what's going to happen from now on and not <laughs> change this. Are we in this together? Or are we just doing this because that's the social norm, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's a, it's a, a good time to kind of like have the conversation about desires and vision and future. Um, and, you know, we do this around weddings um, you know, and, and for some reason we don't, you know, we don't make the, uh, the dedicated time to, to do it around, you know, getting pregnant and, and maybe we talk about it and then we kind of don't talk about it. Um, but the thing is, you know, trying to get pregnant brings up all the stuff. Like if there's communication challenges in a relationship, it brings it up. Like if there's stuff around sex, right. If there's things around body image, um, or sexual pain, or, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many things around sex already in a couple and then adding the pressure of trying to conceive. And so it just like, brings all of the stuff to the surface. And so the more you can talk about it in advance or the more you can address these things openly, you know, with your partner, even if it is tentatively, right. Just, just, just starting the conversation um, about kind of going on this journey together. I find, you know, with, with couples, it may be a little awkward at first. Um, but, um, but I think particularly like female partners inviting their male partners into the conversation or male partners, letting their female partners know that they are open to, um, being part, being part of this, this journey, um, I think has been like really, really cool for a lot of the couples that, that I've worked with. Yeah. You know, when these conversations happen and a guy has to find out that, or even a woman that, you know, they, you know, they're not as healthy as they were or low sperm count in a male's perspective. It's just, you know, it's kind of, demeaning i guess in a way just because you know we're always you know males are always taught to be this egocentric stoic kind of mm-hmm. yeah person and that you know alpha mentality i guess if you want to say that that it's just always like oh shit you know then it's an oh shit moment then it's like okay now what what do we do from here you know it's like is that something that you deal with a lot that it's like oh okay well we can get better i mean but it, but because you know it seems like that's again going back on everything we've been talking about this whole time and just that it just seems like the truth hurts a lot when you finally start Mm -hmm. to learn that you get these markers done and you finally learn that you're not operating fully like you thought you were and just like i could just see that you know really killing serving a guy a piece of humble pie you know Mm. (laughs) yeah it's 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 very humbling and i think it's it's you know it can be humbling in, in either case but i think um yes i see it see it often in in male partners because i think a lot of times um you know health and and sperm health is tied to masculinity in a lot of men's minds. Yeah. And, and so that's tough. And I have a lot of compassion, you know, for that. Um, and also, you know, I affectionately say it's time to put your, you know, big guy pants on, um, and our big girl pants on. Right. And, you know, you're about to, to be a parent for the first time or for the fifth time. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, part of, I think, uh, responsibility for, for being, you know, a parent is taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your kids, um, having difficult conversations, right? I mean, like, this is not the hardest stuff that you're going to face as a parent, like shit's going to get a lot worse than this. So, you know, if we, we can't have tough conversations now, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's probably not boding well for, for, for what's next. I think it's a really good opportunity to get real with yourself, um, and to face that, right? Like it's tough. I totally get it. Um, and like, now's the time to deal with it. Um, so that you're not passing this stuff on to, to your kids, both like figuratively and also literally, literally. Um, and you have the point of biggest impact for, for male partners is at the point of conception. So literally what you're doing in the three, six, 12 months beforehand is what you're passing on to your your child for their future lifelong health. Like what you are contributing in your sperm affects their lifelong health. Um, so I think it's a perfect opportunity for you to get your ego out of the way. And I really say this with a lot of love, um, you know, to, to be of service to, to your future family. Um, and part of it is like doing it out of the context of trying. That's why we want to do it. You know, a year before, you know, we're, we're targeting working with couples that are planning to conceive in the next year, um, ideally. And so you could, I mean, you could start earlier than that, certainly. Um, and we also work with couples who are struggling and couples that are, you know, folks that are, that are freezing their eggs. Um, but I think we want to change the conversation around doing it when you're in the planning stage. And then hopefully it takes some of the stigma out because as you were saying, then you can address it. Um, then you know what you're working with. Um, and, uh, you have so much more agency and control over the process. We think in just your thoughts. I mean, what the future holds as far as fertility and infertility. And, you know, in early in the podcast, we talked about phthalates, which, you know, mm. like Donna Swan, I think was talking about, you know, we eat 
roughly, I think it's the average of a credit card and plastics a week, something like that. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably to that start too. But I mean, and, and then there's other arguments out there that saying the world is overpopulated and that people shouldn't be having kids. And then there's this other argument too that um, when not everybody needs to have kids anyway, you know. But I mean, you know, I guess maybe that's a lot of throwing at you right there. But I guess your main thing, like, what does the future hold? I mean, are you going to see people just keep doing what they want to do? Or are you going to keep seeing people like now that it's starting to be an okay topic to talk about? Like, it's like, hey, let's go see what happens. You know, lifestyles are going to change. Health is going to improve. And people are going to be like, hey, we can have, you know, healthy babies. And I guess, I don't know, just because that it seems like with those plastics that there was also talked about, you know, increases again on Santa Swan, like increases in miscarriages and things like that, just because of these diets and lifestyle choices that people are doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that I think there's a separate question, kind of like what political policies are and what individuals decide to do. I will put that to the side for um, for the moment. I think in terms of what I where I think, you know, like where um, what we're seeing from an environmental evolution, I think that just like our environment is obesogenic. Um, which is a term that basically means predisposing us to obesity. Um, I believe that our environment is infertile genic, meaning predisposing us to infertility. Uh, so, um, and I don't love the word infertility because it's technically a medical diagnosis. I will say subfertility, which actually means just, you know, a lower level of fertility. And so I think if you do not take, just like if you don't, if you don't take proactive actions um, to, um, you know, like take care of your health, um, then you are likely to, um, gain body fat. Um, I think the same thing is true uh, around fertility. If you do not take proactive action to avoid infertility, it is likely that you will face some sort of fertility challenge. Um, because this stuff is being thrown at you all day, every day. And our bodies are just not designed to handle the toxin load, the stress load, um, the you know, nutrient poor, foods that we're putting in our bodies, it's not a signal. It's not a green light to appropriate. Um, and so if you, if you, um, it's an unfortunate message, I wish it was not the case, but that's kind of why I'm here. That's why I'm talking about this is to kind of raise a little bit of, uh, of the alarm to say, if you do nothing, then, you know, it's, it's likely to be problematic because, um, you know, the environment it's, it's, the environment is not headed in a um, in a direction that's conducive to, to fertility. Um, and so until our regulations catch up, um, until our policies catch up, I think it's important for consumers themselves to be informed and to take action. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just so wild to me that, you know, when like, again, like when it comes up, we're eating roughly a credit card size of plastics every day and what it's actually doing to our bodies, that would have never made sense to me if you would have told me that, you know, last year or two years ago, even, and that now it's just like, Ooh, okay. Now we can start, you know, we can have these conversations and like, Ooh, let me figure out some stuff that I need to be doing and not doing at the same time in order to meet those goals or meet my lifestyle choice that I want to have. So I don't know, again, I'm glad you're out there and you're doing this. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're an expert in it and I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you doing this. And, and I guess this still, uh, I know we're getting kind of short on time, but, um, you know, I had one final like thought though, that, or question for you that what was it, what was it like doing two master's degrees at the same time? <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was actually an incredibly rewarding experience. I, um, my, my business school experience was, um, was really wonderful and I learned a ton, met incredible people. Um, and my master's in nutrition was, you know, was, was a labor of love. Um, and, you know, I really wanted to add more tools to my toolkit as I was talking about. So, um, it was a very busy time, a very full time, <laughs> uh, definitely kept me on my toes. Um, but, um, but I feel really honored to, uh, been able to do both of those things. Um, and now actually hopefully translated into something useful for, for, for the world. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Again, like I said, I'm glad you're out there doing that. But um, again, I'm glad you did this. And I'm glad we were glad we did this. and We had this conversation. But uh, if people want to find Poplin, if they want to find you or anything you want to plug, feel free to do that. Thank you so much. Yes, I would love for for people to check us out. Our website is getpoplin, G-E-T-P-O-P-L-I-N.com. Um, and our social handles are the same at getpoplin. So would love to um to continue the conversation there. And thank you so much for uh, this really cool conversation. Thank you for diving in, um, despite maybe some trepidation. Um, I think it was, was really fun. And it's, it's interesting to, um, uh, to get, you know, someone else's perspective on, on this topic. Cool.
Uh, well, thank you for doing it. So, um, again, yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. Good night, it was folks. a blast. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.